What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Well, good, good afternoon, everyone. Good morning to you all. This is Stuart Crawford on Small Business IT Radio for another week here. And we're uh, broadcasting today live from the ConnectWise Conference in beautiful Orlando, Florida. And uh, what a great week it's been down here. Arnie Bellini and the crew at ConnectWise have put on another great event for us, ConnectWise partners, and other things that are happening around, uh, around this great, uh, great conference. We have some HCG fellow, uh, fellowship happening and, uh, and other partners are linking up and, and having a great, great uh, week down here in Florida. Welcome to Small Business IT Radio. Uh, again, my name is Stuart Crawford, and this show is all about helping other small business IT professionals and owners of IT companies get that critical business information that we all need to become, uh, you know, what in our lives, what our own level of success is, what our success looks for us. Whatever that is, we're here to help you, and we're here to give you the resources and the tools to get you above what's happening out there, your competition and all that other stuff in your marketplace. So tune into the show every week. We broadcast at noon on the East Coast, 9 a.m. on the West Coast, almost every Friday here on Blog Talk Radio. And I want to thank the folks at Blog Talk Radio for giving us this medium to really get our word out there and help uh, help all the small business IT professionals that are uh, in our marketplace. And judging by the numbers, we're having a great fellowship and great listenership out there. So thank you to all of you that join in uh, and, and tune in live every week or download us in, onto your iPods or your Zooms and, uh, and listen to us uh, recorded. We have a great show lined up today. There's a book out there, and we have one of the co-authors uh, joining us today to talk about uh, the Go-Giver book. This is one of those books that, you know, if you only read a handful of books in your life, this is one of the books that you must read. And this book has changed uh, my life in a way that I, how I look at my customers, how I look at people I work with, my own internal staff, those in my in my life. And I want to welcome Mr. Bob Bird to our program today. And Bob, first of all, thank you for writing such a such a great uh, piece of literature. And I want to thank you uh, for all the you know for everybody from from everybody that this book has touched. So thank you for putting that out there. Tell us a little about yourself and. Uh, and where you're calling in from today, and you know, just the history of who Bob Berg is. Well, well, I thank you, Stuart, and I thank you for all the great support you, Arlen, and and uh, and all of you have given to this book. Uh, I actually I'm calling in from sunny and warm Jupiter, Florida, so I'm actually about three hours south of where y'all are. I just got back in town last night, and uh, I think as Dorothy Gell from Kansas said, there's no place like home. So always uh, always great to be back here, and I uh, hope you all are having a great time in Orlando. Uh, the uh, first of all, you know, I, I've got to tell you, uh, and, and I appreciate you're giving me credit for, you know, writing a, a, a great book. I got to tell you, I was very blessed to have an incredible co-author, John David Mann, who really is the master storyteller. Uh, 
you know, I'm more of a how-to writer. So as you know, how-to writers, we write in terms of step one is this, step two is this, step three is, is that, and so forth. And I, I just could never have put together a parable form like, you know, like uh, John uh, was able to. So I really just credit him with the, the ex- exceptional writing. He really made the characters come alive and the, and the message come through. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's 100%. Those characters that are in the the uh, the book are amazing. I, I'm still thinking I'm going to run into Rachel one of these uh, days and run into <laughs> one of her coffee shops. I I know that was a that was a, and it's funny to give you a little behind the scenes thing. Rachel actually started out as Ronald, so <laughs> so uh, this book went through so many changes as we started. You know whether it was the person's name, identity, little things they did, points about them, and we were so fortunate to have people who you know we would send out the manuscripts to and send out certain parts and said, you know, how does this read? What is what is this like? How does this hit you? What and we just had so many people who were willing to share with us their ideas and and so forth it really it really was a was a team effort and then uh, what we found is that you know the people like Arlen the people like yourself the people who are already successful go-givers are the person who embraced this book and just had to share the news you know with with other people and which is which really makes sense when you think of it because go-givers are the type who want everyone else to know you know about something that that uh, that works for them but uh, there, there's certainly, I don't think, anything new about this. And, you know, as we know from uh, reading Cahele's uh, 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 Ecclesiastes, uh, that, uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And, and certainly there's nothing new in this book. But it's just maybe put in a in a way, in a format that, that is a little bit fun to read and, and kind of presents the ideas in a, in a clear way. Well, I'll tell you, Bob, the first time I got the book, I saw Arlen. Uh, I think he's, Arlen, are you on the call with us now? I am on the call now, Stuart. Hey, uh, good Arlen. Afternoon. Good afternoon Hi. to you. So I want to tell you the story about the first time I saw the book. I was in Raleigh, North Carolina, and Arlen was kind of sitting maybe one or two down from me. He had this book on uh, on his desk. And, you know, I didn't ask him too much about it, but I saw it. And, you know, immediately when I see if I see Arlen with a book, I mean, that, I mean it's one of those books i got to get. So I went home, and I and this subscribed on iTunes, and I downloaded it in an audio book format, and I listened to it in the morning when I was working out at the gym. And then I got it on paper copy. Now I'm reading it on the paper copy, and now I can actually – I know the story, but I can also be a bit more creative in the, you know, the way things look. So I, I highly recommend – this is one of those books you either get in both forms, but I, it's one of those books you have to sit down and read as well on the paper copy. And I want to invite Arlen in uh, to uh, introduce himself. Most people know who Arlen Sorensen is, but he's, he's a seasoned veteran on this program. But I want to uh, maybe those people tuning in for the first time. Give us a uh, give us a, the 60 second. Who is Arlen Sorensen? Okay, thanks, Stuart. It's good to be with you today. Uh, I uh, run an organization, a reseller company in the Midwest called Heartline Technology Solutions. We are uh, about 80 folks. We have eight offices across five states, and uh, we'll do about 17 million in revenue this year. Uh, we also run uh, the HTG peer groups, which really are modeled on the uh, the principles of the go-giver and the idea that uh, sharing and giving is really the, the key to success. And, and that's how we've tried to run our company as well. So when I saw this book the first time, it was like, wow, that's that's how I think and how I live. So it was really refreshing to uh, to see that. But, you know, we're, we're a SMB uh, provider. We serve small and medium businesses uh, in 
primarily rural and, and tertiary markets across the Midwest and really are uh, big believers in the, the relationship uh, with our customers and, and serving their needs and, and uh, growing our company that way. So it's been a fun ride. been doing this for 23 years now and uh, really enjoy the opportunity to serve people through our business. And it, it comes through. It, you know, it, it really comes through uh, that, that you are a person of such authenticity. And just when I, you know, began reading some of your blog posts, it just can't, you, you know, your heart comes across. And, and Stuart, the same uh, with you. And one of the things that's impressed John David Mann, because, you know, very, very rarely, uh, you know, do we, do we actually – uh, read a lot, you know. When we get a nice compliment, and we know that we've been mentioned on a blog, we like to read some of the blogs and see who the, you know, the people are, so we can connect with them and so forth. And um, and and you know, we did that with you. We were very impressed from the beginning, impressed with the beginning. But I know that we continue to read some of your postings. And I remember, uh, you know, John David Mann, myself, Tom Scott, who who does the marketing of the book, and he's my business partner. We just have been so impressed with with all of you. And as you know, we actually blogged about your big event. And that was a real thrill for us to be able to follow your blog uh, and, and be able to see what was happening during those uh, during those days. So we really thank you for sharing with us. And it's so obvious. And one of the things that we've said is, wow, these people truly embody the spirit of a go-giver. Arvin, tell us a little about the event we, you, you ran in August there at the farm. I, I mean, I participated, and it was just simply wonderful. But how did that all come together? Well, uh one of the things that I've been doing for uh, for actually a, a number of years now is is writing a morning email that I send out to a, a list and and I share uh, share a little bit about my life and and what I'm learning uh, day by day and and share some of the things that I learn from my daily uh, reading of scripture uh, and as as I uh, was impacted by the Go Giver uh, a lot of that was was shared through the email list and and folks began to say hey wouldn't it be wouldn't it be kind of fun to get together and and let us meet these folks that are on your list uh they're from all over the country they they drop me a mail and say hey i heard about your thing can i get on your list and quite honestly uh, there are a lot of folks on the list i'd never met and certainly that didn't know one another so i i nancy and i just kind of decided hey you know we we uh We'd kind of like to host something and just see if anybody would show up and, and spend a day together, uh, you know, talk about the principles of, of giving and, and living life uh, the go-giver way. And, and that kind of became the, the missing link. You know, we had been thinking about what, what would we do. And, and when the book came out and I said, man, this is, this is it, uh, we just decided to have an event and invite folks to come. And we put a tent up in our front yard and kind of had a mm. – the old-fashioned uh, time together and the ate and had fun together and, and shared life and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It really looked like you know it, it really looked like y'all had a terrific time and, and Stuart, I thought your 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 posts were were great on it and the you know some of the videos and so forth. So thanks for uh, for sharing that with us. Well, you know, Arden, you know, it was one of those things that you know I just felt right to do. You know, we uh, we well, I don't know we drove. 5,500 kilometers. I mean, I don't even know what that is in, in miles. You know, <laughs> I spent I spent 12 days in the car with my family, and it was a 12 days in, in a long time that I spent, you know, just with them, and it was just truly a great experience. So I thank thank uh, thank you for giving inspiration to Harlan for putting that event. It was great. But let's let's kind of talk about the book here because um, 
probably some people out there, Bob, that are this is their first experience hearing about the Go Giver book. And I do want to welcome people to dial in. We have the dial-in lines open for questions. Uh, 646-716-8372 is the dial-in number if you feel like you like to dial in. The chat window is open, and I can take questions through the chat window as well. Bob, tell us a bit of the history of the book. How did it, how did it all come together? Did you and John David, you, men, you mentioned that you had the, the how-tos, and John David Mann came up with the, the parable concept. How did the whole book idea start? Well, actually, uh, you know, I had written a book years ago called Endless Referrals, which is on how to cultivate mutually beneficial give and take win-win relationships. Really, the 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 it was the go it was a how-to version of the Go Giver in a sense. And uh, this has been out for years. We've been fortunate to to sell nearly two hundred thousand copies of this book. It's been a big seller. But I I had the idea years ago that I wanted to kind of put this in terrible form and call it the Go Giver. Now, I'm going to just tell you, I started trying to write that parable myself. It did not happen. <laughs> and I knew, you know, now John David Mann, I knew for because he was the editor of a magazine I, I used to write for. He was the editor-in-chief. And John was such a great writer that when he, you know, would edit my, my articles, you know, when you, when you write articles, you're almost a, a little defensive sometimes when they get edited, not because you don't think they're, they're better writers. Typically, the editors are better writers. But sometimes they change your, your things around and they leave some of the best parts out. But John would edit my articles. He'd write back, and he's a very humble guy for a guy who's just so brilliant. He'd, he'd write back and he'd, he would the corrections and he'd say, you know, does this look okay? And I'd constantly find myself writing him back and saying, John, not only is it okay, you write my stuff better than I write my stuff. I mean, he's that good. So I knew as I, as I tried and failed miserably in, in putting this into parable form, I said, you know, John is the guy I want to have do this. I mean, he's just such a master writer. So I asked him, and, you know, he's very busy because he has a lot of people asking him to do books with him. But just because of our relationship, he said, you know, he would take a look at it. And, again, he's just – he's really a nice, nice human being. And uh, he and his fiance I, at the time – now they're married, but his fiance at the time, Anna, came down to visit his um, – her mom in uh, Tampa, which is across the state from me. They came over. We met uh, – spent a couple great days. Uh, gave him the manuscript, he took it back, and then, you know, about three weeks later, he had been playing around with the ideas, and he wrote me and said, you know, I think we have something here. So from that point on, we sort of developed the story a little bit, the, the actual, but, but John was really the guy who just, boy, I was just so amazed how he put this in the parable form and made things come together, and, you know, some of the twists and turns, I mean, that was totally John, and, um, and really, that's that's how it it it, it really happened. It was a, a real pleasure to work with them. Uh, the 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 interesting thing, one of the interesting stories, is that the the speech he wrote, which is on law number four, and remember there was Deborah Davenport, and she gave this really great speech at this at this uh, uh, this hall. Uh, he wrote that entire speech, and he did it in one afternoon, basically pacing around his living room, uh, and his audience was again at that time his fiance Anna, who was critiquing the speech. And when he sent the, the speech to me, he said, what do you think? Is this okay? And I said, John, I wrote back and said, John, I just read the best speech I ever heard. And uh, so, you know, it was really a great collaboration. But many of the incidents in the book all happened. Uh, you know, they were all true. It took many from my life, from John's life, and we just put them in the story form. Um, and uh, so it was really kind of a great way to express some of what we feel are real truisms and put it in a story form that was very entertaining. So, uh, understanding that there are some real life experiences in the, that are reflected in the book, then. 
Oh yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, just just a couple real quick ones. Uh, the the part where uh, where um, uh, Pindar is telling Joe about you know when when Joe was kind of surprised that Pindar actually had him at his own home to talk with him and so forth, and he he said um, you know uh, he was surprised, and, and Pindar said, well you know Joe, typically the bigger they are, the nicer they are, and and <clears throat> Joe kind of didn't believe it, and Pindar sensed it. And he told the story, Pindar told the story about when he was in the back room, the green room with Larry King before speaking at an event. And he asked Larry the question about, you know, different people who he's met, are they really as nice as they seem? The people who are really, and Larry explained to him that, you know, you can get to a certain amount of success being just a regular person. But in order to achieve that real extraordinary success, you've got to be something special. And and what he found was that the the people he interviewed who were just the true stars of life, they were the ones that were actually really good human beings. And that was actually a conversation I had when I was doing some of the Peter Lowe uh, success events. Uh, I was backstage with and uh, 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 Larry King and, and Willard Scott were, were both back there in the green room with me. And I thought, oh, there's no way I can pass this situation up. So I was basically asking the two of them all these questions about television, the early days, hearing some great stories. And I asked Larry that question. And that's pretty much exactly what Larry um, said to me, but you might remember the point where Joe was always was always amazed how Pindar was so gracious to people, uh, and, and no matter who the person was, Pindar always just act with with deference, and he was always very nice and very humble. And Pindar told him the story of when he when he uh, was walking uh, to his date's house to meet his his date for the first time, and he bumped heads with an older guy. And it was the other guy's fault. Actually, the older guy, I think maybe, yeah, he bumped his head and stepped on his foot or something. And and Pinder, even though it was the older guy's fault, Pinder very much, you know, apologized, made sure the person was all right. He was very polite, and that was that. Well, Pinder's at his date's home, and in through the doors walks that older man. And the, you know, his date said, "Oh, daddy, I want to meet uh, you to meet my date." And the then the in the uh, gentleman said. Uh, oh, that's the very nice young man who I just met. Well, that actually happened to my dad. My dad was on the way to meet a date, and a guy bumped into him, and dad, my dad, being who he is, uh, was very polite and made the other person feel good about himself and, and you know, made the other, made sure. And, uh, and then dad was at his date's house, and the person walked in, and, and it happened to be that person's uh, father. Now, unlike in the story where Pindar married that person, uh, in this story, it, it wasn't uh, the woman he got married to. Fortunately for me, my dad ended up marrying my mom. <laughs> but... Those are some of the things in the story, like when Pindar, uh, when when it was explained by Sam that that the best relationships are not 50-50, they're 100-100, including with your wife. And then Pindar went to explain that uh, that you know all his life, all he'd wanted to do in the 50 years or so he'd been married to his wife, all he wanted to do was make his wife happy. He said, when you truly love a person, you know you care more about their happiness than about your own. And and Pindar said, well, wouldn't some people call that? Um, Co, uh, co-dependent. And, and Pinder said, well, no, what I would call it is happy. Well, when I was about, I think, 10 years old, I remember asking my dad, my folks have been married now 51 years, they have a wonderful marriage. And I remember when I was about 9, 10 years old, I asked my dad, you know, how is it that you and mom, you know, have such a great marriage when some of the parents of my friends were getting divorced? And my dad said those exact words. He said, when you really love a woman, you, you actually, you care more about their happiness than you do your own. Now, of course, in today's day, 
uh, Arlen and Stewart, of, of political correctness, you all, almost have to at that point make sure that you say, we don't mean that in the codependent term. We're not talking about a person who, who takes abuse. No, we're talking about two people who genuinely love each other, who genuinely like each other. And when that's the case, and both people are more concerned when they identify even more with the other person's success than they do with their or happiness than they do with their own, of course the other person feels the same way. So, so we took many of those incidents from uh, you know from John's life and my life, and we we managed to put those in the book, uh, you know, in a way that we could share from our heart uh, and and still make it a a fictional story. So, Arlen, I have a you know I would look to you at some inspiration here. Where can you share that whole hundred to hundred relationship thing in your life, as uh, you know, in the IT industry and how it's benefited benefited you personally or or Heartland Technology Solutions? Well, I, I would definitely uh, just echo uh, what we heard that you know certainly I've experienced in my own marriage the the uh, importance of that that attitude and philosophy. But even in business, uh, we see that being a, a key to success and, and I see it in the way that we serve our customers, you know, owning up and taking responsibility and, and accountability for the way we serve our customers and when we make mistakes, being willing to accept the entire blame, even even though we may have reason to say, you know, we were only 50% wrong in this case or whatever. Uh, when we step up and, and take responsibility and feel like we own that problem and it is our issue to deal with, you know, customers are, are certainly much more willing to to work with us and, and make it a win for both. Uh, so, uh, you know, living living life that way in business is important, and I see it more even uh, clearly in, in the way that we relate with our peers. So. It really is the philosophy that we use as we uh, we work with our peers through the HTG Peer Group Program, and you know a willingness to give freely and and not have expectations. I love how the book talks about not keeping score, and you know so many people are are willing to give if they know they're going to get something even more valuable in return, and that that just changes the dynamics in such a way that it, it doesn't work. Uh, when we're willing to give give 100% without expectation that we're going to get something back is when we'll really get blessed the most. And and we find that with some of our customer relationships. And, you know, some days it seems like we got took and uh, we gave way more than we got back. But uh, I've experienced over the 23 years we've been doing this that, that it always comes around. And, and uh, customers understand that, We've gone out of our way to help them out in a particular situation, and you know, in the future, that that comes back to us. And so, you know, we've really tried to to live our lives and, and model our business and our interaction in that form. And and uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer that we give 100% every time, and uh, it works out best for us. Now, Arlen, you mean one thing we mentioned yesterday when we we had our uh, our panel here at the ConnectWise conference? That goes against all the norms of what we're taught in business school. Doesn't that's what the you know we hear a lot of is that you guys are like they totally out there. You're not not making sense. Uh, it's not what I was taught. Uh, how do you address something like that when we get uh, you know that kind of pushback from maybe our peers or others in the industry? Well, I think I think the realization has to be that it doesn't make sense and it is against the norm and. 
you know, historically, if you look at the successful people in the world, they typically weren't the ones that were doing what everybody else did, first of all. And I think secondly, uh, the, you know, the fact that people experience it and they find out for themselves that it really does work to live a go-giver lifestyle, that's what verifies the fact that this is this is real. You know, it's, we're not talking about theory when we, when mm-hmm. we had our panel discussion yesterday I mean, we gave example after example of, of partners that are that are selling in the IT industry that are living this lifestyle, doing things that are absolutely contrary to what the world says is the right way to do things, and are successful and happy about it. And you know, so so we're not talking theory here. Right. And the fact that this book is written around real life examples and and experiences that a lot of us have also had, you know, the same kinds of things happen in our own lives by living that way is, is what validates it. So that's, that's I think, the, the uh, story we have to tell is that, you know, this isn't a theory we're talking about. It's a parable, but it's based on reality, and it's based on things that really happen. And there's not just a couple of them. There's lots of them that happen for people that live this way. Well, that's absolutely. I mean, one of the best stories is uh, just two weeks ago, we had Leif and Eric on talking about how they worked together in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, how they came together and broke all those rules and really were true go-givers with each other and uh, really authentic-type folks and uh, you know, influencers to the, you know, to, the top of the, uh, to the top of the chart. And that breaks all the rules of competitors working together in the same market. Bob, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the story. A couple weeks ago we had the, two of our colleagues on, and they were telling how they had a technology conference and they worked together doing call blitzes. And they're, they're competitors in the same market, but they're allies and they're both members of our HG peer groups, although they're mm-hmm. in different groups. But it's a remarkable story of how these two guys came together. And it kind of gets into the five laws of stratospheric success that you cover in the book. Uh, maybe we can start addressing some of those uh, right now is, you know, the, the, the first law on the law of value. You know, can you explain, you know, what that is all about? And, and maybe I'll have Arlen come and give an example after you explain uh, that law and what, you know, what does the law of value really mean? Sure. The law of value simply says that your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. Now, at first, that can sound counter intuitive, certainly, counterproductive, perhaps, how do you give more in value than you take in payment? I mean, isn't that a, a sure way to uh, bankruptcy? You know, the more you sell, the quicker you're going to go out of business. To understand this, we simply need to understand the difference between price and value. Uh, price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. Value uh, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing to the end user. How does it affect them? How does it add to their life? And is it worth more than the price they're paying for it? Let me give you a a very quick example that I I think explains this. Let's say, for instance, you hire an accountant to do your, uh, your returns, and he charges you $750, and I'm just naming a dollar figure. That's his price. But through his diligence, through his training, through his desire to add value, he saves you over $3,000 in taxes that you wouldn't be able to save yourself just from not having that skill set, saves you 30 hours of pulling out your hair at the 
ridiculous and inane tax code uh, and all the different laws, uh, uh, provides you value with the security of knowing that it's been done correctly. So while he charged you, while his price was $750, the value he provided was well over $3,000. So he gave more in what we call use value than he took in payment. So you feel great about it, and he made a healthy profit. And that would be on a very basic level, that would be the type of relationship we always want to have with a customer or a client, where we're giving them much more in use value than what we're taking from them in cash payment, yet we also make a a healthy profit. There was a a book written in 1910 by Wallace D. Waddles called The Science of Getting Rich, in which he made what I think is a very profound statement. He said, give every person more in use value than you take from them in cash value. That way you're adding to the life of the world with every business transaction. And that makes a lot of you know, good sense, Bob, to uh, you know, really practice that. And I can see the value uh, right there. And, the, you know, I would pay, I would be happy to pay $750 and save myself $3,000 in taxes because it, 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 makes, it makes sense. Uh, in you know, in the business point of view, Alan, from your side, you know, what uh, where do you guys practice this, this law in uh, in your business? Well, I, I think the most obvious area where where this probably makes sense for uh, for us to to relate it to is is about managed services and and the way that we try to serve customers through our our managed services program, where we offer to take care of their network at a, a flat. Uh, you know, flat charge every month, and we provide a, a host of services around that to to enable them to do their day-to-day work without having to worry about the the issues of their network. And you know, we utilize a number of different tools. We we provide a lot of labor. We provide a lot of skill and, and knowledge to to uh, you know keep that network functional all the time. But it's you know often we're we're giving more per se in in value than we actually might appear to be charging, but exactly. but it's still a very profitable business for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that we're able to to bring that into a, a you know a consolidated program that's got uh, you know use of a number of different tools and technologies to get it done for the customer makes it far less expensive for them to have it taken care of, but yet it allows us to make a healthy profit. So. We're given way more value than maybe we would charge if we were doing this all one-off kind of stuff, but it's it's better for the customer, and it's better for us as as a a solution provider as well. Arnon, you were talking to me yesterday about the world's version of success, and you mentioned four Ps. Uh, My memory is great power, possession, prestige, and position. sounds like this law of value totally uh, contradicts what the world's version of successes. Well, and that's very true. Uh, you know, this is this is kind of contrary to to what the uh, the pundits might say would lead you to success. But the outcome of living the go giver life can still result in those those four things that the world sees as important. It's just how you get there that's really the big difference. Because uh, I think you know, there's sometimes confusion that being a, a go giver will mean that you can't have those things. You can't have success in the world's eyes. And and even if that's not your motive, which it typically won't be if you live this lifestyle, it still can often be the result. 
and you still are going to, you know, you don't have to give it away. It's just that the value you give is more than what you might charge concept, and, and that still doesn't mean you won't succeed financially and, and have these other things as part of your, your result. Um, you know, you, you bring up a great point, and, and, and it's always very important for us to make sure that when people, when we discuss, you know, being a go-giver, that in no way is that to imply uh, martyrdom or self-sacrifice. Being a go-giver is, it, it is much easier to get wealthy being a go-giver than it is to be a go-taker. And, uh, you know, uh, you were talking, Arlen, earlier about that being a contrarian view. And it is a contrarian view. But as Pindar said in the book to Joe, sure, most people think exactly the way you're thinking, Joe. And then again, most people are not nearly as successful as they want to be. By being a go-giver, you're actually putting yourself in the position where you, see, where you are going to be much more uh, financially successful. Again, is it the actual goal? No, not necessarily. It's the result. It's where, you know, when, uh, when, when um, Ernesto says to Joe, you know, asking if something will, will make money is not a bad question. It's just a bad first question. The first question is, does it serve? The second question is, does it make money? And so what people, I think, sometimes feel, and I think this is a result of the world we live in and the model of the world we've been hit with so often where it's uh, – where the uh, and you see this all the – whether it's a matter of upbringing, whether it's a matter of, of schooling, uh, you know, the public government schools, whether it's a matter of what you hear in the mass media, whether it's television shows or, or movie scripts, where so often the storyline is what? The nice guy, nice gal, nice person uh, is usually poor, right? They're happy. They're poor but happy, right? They, they're, but they're put down, taken advantage of uh, by the rich person who's always mean and nasty and heartless and has no soul like uh, you know, Mr. Potter <laughs> from, from the old movie uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, or worse, uh, Mr. Drysdale from the old Beverly Hillbillies TV show. And you think of that. I mean, these are just absolute... Hollywood stereotypes, if you will, and you know, if you, I mean, I loved the uh, the movie uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and I mean, I, I'm not the the crying type, but I got to admit, my eyes get misty every time the townsfolk I see the townsfolk come to the rescue of of Jimmy Stewart's character, and I've probably seen that movie 25 times. I don't know, um, but if you look at the dynamic, right, where where Mr. Potter is the the mean, nasty, greedy capitalist, and 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 uh, uh, George Bailey is the the kind of klutzy sort of, you know, uh, do-gooder, who, but who's poor and always struggling, that sort of gets into the consciousness of people. And so people naturally believe that, well, that's how it is. That's how life is. If you're wealthy, oh, you must be a bad person. If you're, but, you know, if you really do a study of successful people, and I'm not talking about the fly-by-night successful people. I'm talking about the people who they've, they've amassed wealth, they have family they love and who loves them. They have great relationships. They can look in the mirror. They're happy with themselves. They base their actions, their personal actions, their business actions, they base them on, on values and character traits such as honesty, integrity, humility, uh, and on, on continually adding value to the lives, to the relationships they're involved with. 
these are the people who really are the, the truly successful people. And so in a sense, by being contrarian, it's only contrarian with, with today's mass consciousness. But it's never been contrarian with with how it's really worked. Now, later on in the call, we can answer the question if, if you want, well, what about the, the nasty people who get wealthy? And, and there's a great explanation for that, by the way. But I'll just tell you, it's much easier to get wealthy when you're a go-giver because you've developed these great relationships where people want to see you succeed, and you've got a lot more partners in your success, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes, makes perfect sense, Bob. So let, and that kind of leads into the next uh, law, the law of compensation. And I got it as your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. Tell us a bit more about this law and maybe some examples of people that, you know, even playing from the book or people that you know that have put this law to action. Sure. Uh, you just asked about law number two, right? I just missed you for a second. Yeah, law, law number two. Yeah. Law, yeah, law of compensation. The law of compensation says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. Uh, in the, you know, in the, where the first law says to provide more in value than you take in payment, law number two tells us that the more people whose lives we add that kind of exceptional value to, the more money with which we'll be rewarded. For example, the, the, the accountant that we just spoke about, who provided over $3,000 worth of value for a $750 fee, he did a great job of providing much more in value uh, than what he took in payment. Now, if you're his client, you probably feel really good about him, will do business with him again, and most likely will tell others about him. Well, his other clients feel the same way. So our accountant is very quickly amassing what I call an army of personal walking ambassadors. And as he continues to add that kind of exceptional value to the lives of more and more people, his income continues to grow. Now, it's the same for the realtor, the financial advisor, the insurance professional, the banker, the computer salesperson. It's the same for the restaurant owner, the corporate CEO, the small business owner. It's the same for the graphic designer, for the IT professional. Now, now here's kind of a neat thing. There's a law of, uh, there's a universal law of economics that says people exchange their money for that which they feel is of equal or greater value than the money they're exchanging it for. Now, of course, the greater the value compared to the money they're spending, the happier they'll be, the more people they'll tell, and the more people who will buy from you through word of mouth or referrals. Uh, I remember the, the unsolicited but very welcome advice I received really early on in my sales career. It was by an older gentleman who was nearing retirement. And I think this was when I was first sort of hitting my sales stride. And I was really, and I think he kind of saw me as the up and coming, uh, dare I say, you know, hot shot in need of a sales reframe. <laughs> so he chose to provide me with the benefit of his experience, and I'm really glad he did. He said to me, Berg, if you want to make a lot of money, don't make money your target. Make serving people your target. Now, if you hit your target enough times, you'll get a reward. That reward will be money, and you can do with that money whatever you choose. But remember that money is only the reward for hitting your target. It's not the target itself. Keep your priorities straight. And I thought that was great advice. So, you know, we could say that the first law is all about the value you bring. The second law is how you get well compensated for 
that value you bring. And you do that first by providing a use value greater than what you take in payment. Secondly, by finding more people to serve. Now, uh, this is what Nicole Martin discovered in the story, uh, which, by the way, again, is based on, of course, someone that John uh, or I know. Uh, she loved what she was doing. She loved the value she was providing to her students and, by extension, to their parents. It was great. But she was frustrated that despite the value she was providing, she wasn't making enough money to feel comfortable, never mind to, to thrive. So what she did was this. She found a way to expand her reach. She leveraged her value, and she served a lot more people. And her income uh, increased dramatically. So not only must you give great value, law number one, you must find a lot of people to give that value to, law number two. So in other words, serve a lot of people and serve them well. Uh, one point uh, that I'll close with before I know Arlen will go on with, a, with an example, exceptional value, this is just kind of a formula, exceptional value plus significant reach equals very high compensation. That's a combination of the first two laws in action, which, by the way, is the basis of every fortune that's ever been made in a free society to provide exceptional value and, and serve a lot of people with that value. Yeah, I mean, that totally makes a lot of sense to me, Bob, as, as, uh, as how to run our lives uh, and, and, and really truly succeed. Now, Arlen, you have a great way of responding to people when they you know, ask. And you know, a guy like you, Arlen, you probably got hundreds and hundreds of emails, but the other thing is, our message is you still respond to almost every single one of them and really show that value, that law of compensation to everybody that you deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think that that the law that that uh, Bob points out here in the Go Giver is is right on the money, and that is, you know, we we can we can really determine our success based on our ability to serve more and more folks, and you know, uh, certainly responding to people appropriately making them uh, understand that they're important in your life is one of the ways that you build those fans that, that uh, will be out there as your personal ambassadors. Uh, you know, here at the conference this week, uh, people at our booth were standing three and four and five deep just trying to get in and, and figure out what this uh, HTG peer group was about and what our newsletter service was about. And it wasn't because we we're masterful marketers because that all the folks that are part of this program and community are out there talking about it and, and folks want to they want to know they want to be part of something and and be engaged with something that's successful and, and is valuable to them and so as we provide value way beyond what what the cost is folks get excited about that and they tell everyone they know and and uh, you know that the the kind of the net that, that that brings to us is far more than we could ever generate on our own. And so it, the principle applies and, and uh, lives itself out clearly as we serve folks and serve them well. You know, they become fans and, and uh, are out there telling others about the value they received, and, and that just continues to grow. And, and you know, sometimes that that uh, success doesn't come back always in terms of dollars. There's lots of ways that that we achieve success and and uh, value from life, and yet you know it always the principle works the same no matter what the the end result is. That we serve folks well, we give them more value, and we increase the the quantity of those folks that we serve, 
there'll be more of everything that we're going to receive in the end. Wonderful, Arlen. Yeah, it's you kind of nailed you nailed it right there. So, Bob, the third the third law is the law of influence. And the key, I mean, one of the things I get from a lot of people that I you know that are my mentors or I look up to is they play huge influencer roles in my life. And let's talk about the law of influence. Uh, you know, what is the law of influence? From, you know, from in the book example, and you know, how did this one? How did this law come about? Sure. Uh, the law of influence says that your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Now, this one again sounds counterproductive at best and downright uh, Pollyanna. Ish <laughs> at worst, and and yet it, it's actually very very practical. This this sort of really hits upon what Arlen was talking about earlier in the in in the program. See, in the story, Joe uh, learns from the ultra successful Sam, who you might remember, what I call the golden rule of business, or the golden rule of sales, the golden rule of networking. We this was discussed. This was the basic premise of my book, Endless Referrals, and and John and I uh, really wanted to include this in this chapter on influence, and it simply says. All things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. Well, there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you and others than by putting their interests first. Determining, and I'm talking about before you even get the opportunity to do business with them, determining how you can find some way to help them, how you can add somehow add significant value to their lives. Now, this is a concept that many people, again, they have trouble accepting, but the truly successful totally embrace. Now, the, the many hugely successful business people who read an advanced copy of this book commented more probably on this law than any of the others. Some of them actually thanked John and me for finally sharing this principle uh, that successful people already know. Now, again, uh, as Arlen said, it's contrarian. Most people aren't successful. The really successful people understand this law. Uh, you know, in his excellent book, Networking for Life, Thomas Powers, he, he calls this the willing suspension of self-interest. You know how we go to the movies, we have what's called the willing suspension of disbelief. I mean, you know, you know it's just a movie, it's a story, but in order to enjoy it, we suspend our disbelief. We make believe that what's on the screen is real. I mean, uh, you know, we know that uh, Bruce Willis doesn't really break up a terrorist ring in less than 75 minutes uh, after insulting the head terrorist who has a gun pointed at his head. We suspend our disbelief in order to enjoy the, the, the show. Now, in this case, it's the willing suspension of self-interest, not the foregoing of self-interest. It's just it's the suspension of it because we know that the more we give and add value to people's lives – it's just natural the more we're going to receive back. It's a spiritual principle which has a physical manifestation, and it, it's not a, a la-di-da theory type of thing. As Arlen mentioned earlier, there's nothing just theoretical about this. When you're constantly focused on giving to others, when your relationships are 100-100, not 50-50, you're, you're setting up so many seeds of goodwill, so many seeds of great will, that you become that go-to person. You become that person that others want to see succeed. They want to help become successful. They want to be a part of your business. 
uh, they want to be a part of your life. And so, you know, that's really the thing, and that's where we got into the, you know, the the 50-50 versus 100-100 thing uh, that I thought Arlen and you both did a great job explaining earlier. So, you know, I think of someone, my, my friend Terry Murphy, who I call the $14 million woman, uh, because when back in the day when she was really, uh, selling real estate, she used to sell $14 million of real estate pretty much every year, good market and bad. And that was in the late 80s when, as Terry said, $14 million was actually a lot of money. <laughs> so, but you know, Terry was so totally and absolutely focused on how she could help others. Uh, she was always on the lookout for those she knew, how she could help, how she could make connections, how she could refer business to others, how she could make people's lives easier. So she developed a fan base, just a raving fan base, and Terry absolutely meant it, which goes into our, you know, the next law, which is the law of authenticity. And so that's really, really the thing. It's, it's just understanding that if you really desire, you truly desire to add value to the lives of others, uh, not only are you following a great spiritual principle, but it's going to manifest itself in some wonderful uh, physical ways. Well, let's get right into that. Let's roll into that one, Bob, because we have about uh, 13 or 14 minutes left here. Uh, let's talk about the law of authenticity, and then maybe I'll just flip it, back, flip it over to Arlen after we cover this one as well. Sure. The law of authenticity says that the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. I mean, Terry Murphy's totally genuine, totally authentic, and, and, and go-givers are authentic. The best thing about this law is that it isn't even something you have to learn. It's only something you need to embrace. Now, in the story, Deborah Davenport discovered that all the sales skills, technical skills, even people skills, uh, were all for naught if you weren't genuine, if you weren't yourself, and if you couldn't communicate that sense of authenticity. On the other hand, being authentic took those skill sets and multiplied their effectiveness geometrically. Now, please don't misunderstand. Skills, knowledge are important, but even more important is your your authenticity. And people sense authenticity, and they sense when someone's not authentic. In uh, that authenticity, that sense of congru- you know, it, it's that integrity that comes from a congruence when you're when what you say and what you think and what you feel and what you do when they are in alignment, and people can sense it and they respond to that. That's great. And Arvin, one of the things covered on these two uh, laws here that I've always been impressed by the way you do things, and you I mean it's definitely spilled over to the way I do uh, things with my business and even in life, is how you deal with vendors. And most IT professionals and owners of computer companies look at vendors as, you know what, hey, I'm your customer. You have to treat me right. You do it totally different, Arlen. Tell us a little bit about the way you treat your vendors. Well, I think the, the, key, uh, the key to success is learning how to work with, with those folks that really can enable you to be successful. And, and in our case in the IT industry, it is knowing how to really engage and, and work with our vendor partners that enable us to have product to sell or services that we can sell to use to serve our customers. And, you know, talking about making sure that we focus on the right things, one of the discussions that I have with, with um, the vendor folks that I work with very early on in our relationship is I want to understand how they're going to get paid. Because one of the goals I have is is to learn what I can do to help them be successful. And when I ask that question, it's often like, why, why do you care about that? 
and I get the opportunity to have the discussion that, you know, I want to help them succeed, and I realize that the more I'm able to help them succeed, the more they're going to want to help me succeed because mm-hmm. that's where people make investment is in, in in life situations where we can have win-win relationships. And so I build my relationships with vendors focused on that, not on what I'm going to get, but what I'm going to do and the way I run my business and I interact with them to make sure that they're succeeding. I can tell you that comes back many times over because when there's a opportunity or a situation that they have and they've got multiple partners that they might talk to, well, they call me first. Exactly. It's really helped to grow our business. You know, the the other side of that is, you know, I, I have that conversation with authenticity. And let's be real that, you know, vendors are people too. And, and they're just like us. They have issues at home. Their kids, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cause them to stay up all night. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like we do. And we need to realize that that these folks live life in the same kind of environments that we do. They have bad days. And and there's nothing wrong with us being real and transparent with them and and opening that level of communication where I'm willing to, to let them see some of the warts I have, share some of the struggles I endure, and look for ways to, to talk with them about that and help them deal with things that they're going through. And it's really just about building real relationships with people based on, on caring and serving and understanding where they're at and ways that I can serve them to help them deal with the life issues they face. That's terrific. And, that, and that's so true. I mean, that's, I, I, although I'm not 100% there yet, I'm trying to, my best to mirror that uh, that example you lead there with uh, with Arlen, Bob. We got about we seven minutes left in our our time together today. I want to touch on the last law because I think to me it's the most important. I, I think for myself, I'm not open to this law. The other four just don't seem to happen, and that's uh, being open to receive and the law of receptivity. Yeah, and most this people is all, are, most people are closed off there, and they don't they don't want to receive help or receive things from other gifts that other people have to deliver to them. One of the, it's one of people's biggest challenges, and we hear more about this, and we've had more people emailing us to say that this, this law is what finally helped them to be able to open up to receive. And I think it's something that John and I could both write about because John and I both had to deal with that at different times in our lives. I know I, I had to. And, and so basically the law of receptivity it says the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. You recall in the story, the mentor, Pindar, asks Joe to slowly exhale while Pindar counts to 30. Well, Joe begins, but in short time, what happens? He runs out of breath. He can't continue. He says, I I can't just breathe out. I've got to breathe in as well. Well, Pindar says, but Joe, what if I told you it's been scientifically proven that breathing out is actually healthier than breathing in? Well, Joe, you know, that's silly. You know, you've got to do both. You've got to breathe out and you've got to breathe in. Well, that's the point. It's both. You breathe out and you breathe in. You breathe out, which is giving. You breathe in, which is receiving. Not only must you breathe out carbon dioxide, you must breathe out oxygen. Giving and receiving are simply two sides of the very same coin, and they operate fully in tandem. 
we could say that, re that receiving is the natural result of giving, and giving is the natural result of receiving. Now, I, I love what John says here, <laughs> and I'm quoting him. He says, the effort to focus on either side of the equation while minimizing the other is an exercise in futility, and it really is. Without being willing to do both, it just doesn't work for you, doesn't work for the other person. So we need to allow ourselves to receive, and we know that people can have a problem with this because, you know, it, it's okay to give, but now receiving, there's ways we, you know, reasons we block ourselves from, from doing this. Now, it's interesting. It's something I really had to get past in my life before I allowed abundance to really come in. But yet, I still every so often get stuck on something. And I'll just tell you something that happened a while ago that was that kind of interesting. Our bookkeeper, Trina, was in uh, to clean up the, you know, the monthly mess we make. And she's a great, great person. And, and she was doing some work, and she was using a pen. And I, I liked the uh, design of the pen. It wasn't a fancy pen, but I liked the design of it. So I said, Trina, where did you get that? I'm going to go buy one. And she said, well, here, have mine. I've got plenty of them. And I said, no, no, I, I can't take your pen. She goes, no, no, really, I'm giving it to you. Uh, just take it. And I said, no, I wouldn't feel right. She said, why can't you take my pen? I said, well, it's your pen. I wouldn't feel right taking it. And she says, Bob, it's really a, a very simple two-step process. Number one, take the pen. Number two, say thank you. And I thought, hmm, <laughs> how often do we teach that which we need to continue to learn and keep conscious of? You know, and you might say, well, Bob, but that's only a little pen. You allow the big stuff. You know what? My friend T. Harvecker wrote a great book called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. And one of the things he says in the book, which I love, he says, how you do anything is how you'll do everything. And we oh, yeah, need to I, know, make, I know that I know that quote really well. That's the one I live by too. So I know Harv quite well as well. Exactly. And 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 really that's the key. So what we need to do is make sure that we keep ourselves aware and, and that we're aware when we're blocking the receptivity. And to understand that one of the things I did in refusing to receive was I refused her the gift of giving, even something small. So my feeling is this as long as we can uh, continue to add value to people's lives, we know we've earned the right to allow ourselves to receive as well. But it's a constant, growing process that we need to continue to work on, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. It makes 100% uh, sense, uh, sense to me. And you know what, Bob, I'll share a little quick story here. Uh, is I had Arlen and a couple other friends come up in, uh, in May to our company. And we're, we were a seven-year-old company, and we were, do, we were fairly successful. Well, we were struggling to get to that next level, and we had to be open to receive that that assistance from Arlen and Brad and Dan, who came up that, that week with us. Without being open to receive their gifts and help us, we would have never been able to get to some of the targets we're hitting now, where we're we've kind of you know broke that barrier that was kind of limiting us. So you have to be open to receiving help from others and those gifts that others bring. Gentlemen, we have like two minutes left, and I want to get in a chance here to. Uh, you know, give a little bit of a plug for the stuff that you're doing in your community, maybe some websites or blogs that you have. And by the way, Bob, I, you know, I love that quote that Harv, that Harv did. And I use that in all of my uh, PowerPoint presentations for like my favorite quote. So I had a luxury of meeting Harv a few years ago, and what a great man he is too. He he really is a, 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 a no, Harv is a super guy. I've had the, pr the privilege of spending, in fact, I just spoke for him three weeks ago at his world's greatest marketing seminar in uh, Orange County, California. And he continually amazes me by how much he gives and, and, and how much he receives and how much he, he really follows these laws himself. So it's really a pleasure working with him. Yeah, I had an opportunity to go to Aspen last year to his uh, seminar of the century, which was great. 
Armin, give us a little bit of a you know a plug for HCG and where people can get more mem uh, information about HCG if they want to sign up as a you know in the peer group process on the peer group groups that are out there today. Okay, uh, you know HCG is uh, right now in the middle of growing uh, some new groups and and providing opportunities for folks to get into a community to really be able to practice these principles and the way to apply is to go to our uh, our website. It's uh, HTG members with an s.com. There's a survey there for you to fill out, and that puts you in the uh, the queue to become a, a member of one of the groups. And uh, it's an opportunity to become uh, basically a virtual CEO for for uh, other companies and and hold them accountable and help them to really apply, uh, you know, business principles to grow their business. But it, it's a way to give and and uh, to also receive and to really put these principles into practice. Great. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Armin. And Bob, uh, where can people pick up a copy of The Gold Giver if they, uh, you know, listen to this podcast and say, you know, I've got to get a copy of that book. I'm sure it's available at all uh, major bookstores. It is. It's available at major bookstores. And if they'd like to uh, read a copy of Chapter 1 for free, they can go to our website, which is excuse me, www.thegogiver.com. Uh, and they can uh, read uh, Chapter 1 for free. And then if they'd like to get the book, they can either click through to Amazon or they can uh, go to their local bookstore, uh, either one. And we also welcome them to visit our blog and to uh, post comments on the different uh, articles. Sorry, I think I got cut off there, Bob. Are you still there? Oh yeah, I am. Yeah, I think we may have just for a second I lost you. Uh, so, so, uh, but yeah, basically they they go. You mentioned going to the blog, and that was the last time we heard. Yeah, and that's fine. Uh, and they can uh, and and they can uh, comment on the uh, you know the different thoughts and so forth and post their own. We really like to make this a go giver community, and uh, we're just really appreciative of the uh, the response we've received from people and and just. Uh, you know, we really welcome people being a part of it. And again, I just want to to tell you that you and Arnold and, and everybody were just so uh, really honored that that you all picked up on this book and have spread the word about it. And really can't uh, thank you enough just for for being the people you are. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for again thanks again for writing such a great book, and thanks for uh, taking your time to uh, to join us today uh, and uh, be part of our program. That's it. We're actually over time. We're, we stopped streaming here on Blog Talk Radio, but we're still being recorded, so you, you can always catch us. If you're listening on the podcast, great. You've got this extra minute or two of value here. Uh, this is Stuart Crawford. We're going to sign off for today on uh, Small Business IT Radio. Make sure you visit our website uh, later, www.smallbusinessitradio.com, for more information. We've got some great shows lined up. Thank you to our uh, guests. I know Arlen's got to run to another meeting, and Bob, thank you very much. And i got to get back to the conference. So. That's it for this week on Small Business IT Radio. Stay tuned. Next week we have some great uh, programs coming up, and we and check out our agenda, our tech out the schedule on www.smallbusinessitradio.com.